you're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is Season 2, Episode 10. Farther along Josh Girls is a Portland, Oregon-based singer-songwriter who combines elements of hip-hop, world music, and folk in his songwriting. His lyrics are characterized by a raw honesty in exploring themes of faith, hope, and compassion. I recently had the privilege of catching up with Josh to discuss not only his art and philosophy behind his work, but also to dig deep into the heart of what compels him as an artist. This is part one on vocation and calling with singer-songwriter Josh Gerrels. Well, Josh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on Makers and Mystics, and uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you some over the past couple years and just enjoyed following your music and, and seeing that progression and, and where it's taking you. So it's an honor to be able to, to chat with you and introduce you to some of the people that's been following what I do as well. Right on, man. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to yeah. be here. Yeah. So I'm curious, have have you been a musician most of your life or is this something you developed over time? Um, that's a good question. I think most of my life. My dad was a music teacher before retiring. So high school, middle school, band, orchestra, generations on both sides of my family going back. Musicians, teachers, and artists are like mm. the three vocations that both sides of my family, if you look back, that's like a legacy almost, you know? Yeah. So some of my earliest memories are of singing and making songs, um, sticking my head in the dryer while my mom's doing <laughs> laundry and and singing a song and pulling my head out and looking at her and having her like cupping her heart saying, that was beautiful. You know, so like little <laughs> moments like that, even where, you know, um, the adults in my life let me know like, oh, when you do that, it's really special or something, you yeah. know? So just, I, I've gravitated to it my whole life, you know? So so in school, choir and band, out of school, mm-hmm. forming my own bands and using four track tape recorders through middle school, high school. So there's always been some sense of, when I was in school, having some school training in this area, but then out of school, I would gravitate to it as well, you know? So both of those things together, yeah, um, yeah I've, I've sort of made up my journey. Was there a point when you realized that music was going to be your career or the pursuit that you wanted to go after? Or you, it sounds like you always had music as a part of your life, but was there ever a switch when you were like, I want this to be my vocation? Yeah, there was. I think it was always something that came naturally through you know my formative years, but there was no goal um, that I was shooting toward at that at that point in my life as a as a young man as a teenager as yeah. a, a college age kid you know the, to yeah. make it a vocation it was just always part of what i did on the side i would say if anything when i was younger it was like i'm gonna be a pro skateboarder and that's what i like sunk all <laughs> my time and energy into is like skateboarding and then actually when i went to university i went to study music engineering and then realized i would have to study physics and acoustics so immediately dropped out of <laughs> music engineering school and went into okay. visual art because it was more immediate you know um mm-hmm. yeah so i think early on it was always something i did and enjoyed but it yeah. wasn't um an aspiration to really do something with it you know yeah 
Um, yeah. I would say the shift happened when I came to faith at the end of my freshman year in university. Um, I don't know, call it a spiritual experience, a spiritual intuition or something, but I knew that sounds were put in me and I knew that it would take time to work those sounds out. Mm. So I would, um, at the time I was still studying um, graphic design and visual art, but I would stay up late at night, um, like reading the Bible and making songs. And so I realized, oh, this is like, this is what I want to do with my time. So wow. I actually dropped out of university two years in and started uh, making music full time while doing this like non-traditional seminary in the church I came to faith through. Um, yeah, and those early recordings, those early recordings made a way for what I'm doing now, but then mm -hmm. to progress in the storyline. So those two things that I dropped out of university for, like I wanna study the Bible and I wanna make songs. Mm -hmm. I like became a 24 year old pastor in Indianapolis. And for three and a half years, I was, you know, preaching every week, pulling my like <laughs> sermons together and like wow. pastoring a fellow group of like 24 year olds, which I'm surprised the thing didn't just shipwreck. You know what I mean? Right. By the grace of God, I was like a young kid in some ways, you know, um, pastoring. Um, and man, that experience was so formative. I think I probably benefited from it more than anyone else. But um, yeah. there did reach a point when like that little church grew to a point where it was demanding my all, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and music, meanwhile, I would still be recording and sometimes traveling out on the weekends and doing shows and music at the same time was demanding my all. And it was, it begged the question, okay, these are both, these are both calling me towards the responsibility of like a vocation. Neither of mm -hmm. these are a hobby and I'm not doing either one well. And so mm -hmm. that was in some ways the big crossroads is like a 20, at that point, 27 year old. Um, am I going to enter one of these full time and put like let the other one? Um, I don't know if I want to say fall to the wayside, but mm -hmm. am I going to focus all my strength and energy yeah. and time and you know blood, sweat, and tears into one of these two? Yeah. And really, music is the one that kept rising up. Is like I really feel like even between these two wonderful things, these noble things, I feel like I'm called to make songs. Mm -hmm you know mm -hmm. um, so yeah. that was if anything sort of the pinnacle sort of defining moment in my life as like a 26 yeah. 27 year old realizing okay so this there is there's purpose to this to the extent that i need to like pour my lifeblood into it and treat it i mean for those um yeah, that aren't maybe like, if you want to say in the faith, it might sound weird. Is this going to be my like ministry? Is this going to be what I right. embrace and pour myself into? That that was the moment. Yeah. 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 So it seems like your music and your spiritual journey have paralleled one another since the beginning. They have. They have. For sure. For sure. And I think it would be troubling if they didn't in some ways. You know, that's mm -hmm. been one of the signifiers to me that there's purpose when yeah. the things you're learning and sometimes this privatized like spiritual devotion place if those are divorced from your day-to-day -day, i think they're mm. that disconnect needs to be assessed like why mm -hmm. why are those two not interacting with each other and these two for whatever yeah. reason they always intersect you know yeah. what i'm learning in one affects the other and vice versa and that i think yeah. that interplay and that dance between the two has been a huge uh, signifier to me that okay there's there's like life and purpose in this so yeah that's good 
it seems like even though you said you had to choose between one or the other, what you were doing uh, leading the church followed you into your music in a lot of ways, or at least it still finds expression there. I, I know when I listen to a lot of your lyrics, it's got the heart of a sermon. In a, in a, I mean that in a very good way, like the art of the sermon, you know, at the heart yeah. of what you're doing. And, and um, so I'm, I'm kind of glad you made the choice you did personally. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, I think there is. It's, it's something I still now is like in my mid-30s, I'm trying to figure out come to terms with or be all right with the fact that um, in sort of like Western civilization, we have sort of delineated roles. And within like the church, there's these very, you say a word like pastor's wife or missionary, and those have like these very stereotypical caricatures of what that is supposed to be. And I think that's something I'm still coming to terms with, that like I might be like – in the kingdom, I might be an evangelist, although I, it looks very different than someone standing on a corner, you know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. yelling out to the public, you know? Yeah. Um, yet the actuality of like what spiritual gifts might look like yeah. may be very different than what um, we've been told or shown yeah. or sort of the the program we've been given, you know? Right. Um, I'm still, I'm still coming to terms with it, you know? Sure. So I've said several times lately that it feels like, especially in America, that we're living in the wild west of the spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like that a lot of the boxes that we grew accustomed to in the past, or even a lot of those stereotypes of what it looks like to be a pastor, uh, a pastor, evangelist, or whatever, those boxes don't necessarily work anymore. And, I, and to a large degree, I think it's healthy that we're expanding the ways that our faith is is being expressed and what it actually means to be a pastor or an evangelist or whatever. I, I um, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's being expressed in a lot of new ways during this time. But I read from your bio that you started in two thousand two, and one thing I've always known and appreciated about you is that you've chosen to remain an independent artist from that time forward, you know, mm-hmm. rather than going with an, uh, a standardized industry label or management, you've always chosen to remain an independent artist. And I'm curious what motivated you to take that direction and how that's impacted your career as an artist. Yeah. I will preface before I get into it that Man, I, I've come to a point in my life where I do believe there are different strokes for different folks. There are different mm-hmm. paths for people who are like vocational musicians, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that now seeing some that have like highly benefited from taking on, say, a manager or even a label or a publicist, you know, those are all things that I've chosen not to do myself. And I think I used to be pretty um, cocksure and dogmatic um, and probably privately prideful about, you know, I've done it on my own, you know, sort of the (laughs) ultimate American dream as a musician. I didn't have anyone's help, you know. Um, Yeah, so there, I think there's a time and place for some to do that, you know. In my own case, I know that I, from the front end of this thing, I've had some vision of what I want to do with it, you know. Mm -hmm. I've had... an intuition about the sounds I want to create and about the ideas I want to embed in those sounds, a weird sense that they're never going to fit squarely anywhere, but yet Mm -hmm. there's an audience that 
is ready to hear those things. And so there's been a certain uncertainty that I would fit anywhere squarely, but yet Mm -hmm. a certainty that um, I'm to create something that there is a listenership for, you know? Yeah. And so to answer your question, anytime there's an opportunity, quote unquote, opportunity, um, I feel thankful that maybe just even the the spirit or a sense of wariness growing up like a skate punk where like anything that smacks of selling out or a label you like <laughs> it was this thing <laughs> beware you know beware right, of, right. of selling out or something so I would always approach those conversations with say a potential manager or a potential label very warily you know um, with a sense of, with a sense of distrust yeah. Uh, but then often there would be a moment where th- the offer would be intriguing, you know, as I'm toiling alone with my wife wearing seven different hats, trying to make this music thing work on a yeah. practical level financially so that we can make our rent or so that we can right. make our mortgage or I'm self-funding everything I'm doing, digging this big hole of debt, hoping that it gets filled in when when the work is done. You know, like yeah. all of those practical things, when someone comes yeah. to you and says, hey, we'll advance you, we'll bankroll it, we'll give you a seat at the table with um, artists that you know and like, and we will publicize your work. And we, you know what I mean? We'll set up tours, yeah. we'll have you opening for these guys that are influential. You know, all of right. those things that sometimes, uh, the temptation for me, I, I'll call it a temptation, was man, just like, relieve me of this responsibility and let me do what I do. And that would often be the sales pitch. Like, listen, man, you need to just steward what you're doing and let us take care of everything else, Mm -hmm. Um, which is intriguing and tempting at times. But if there was a, when I have the sense that uh, it's too good to be true or that I'm (laughs) like relinquishing large amounts of ownership, um, that's when I draw back and I really ask the question like, okay, what am I really giving away here? Yeah. Is it infringing upon values? Things that I didn't even necessarily know were values that I've been have guided me intuitively, but now inevitably there'd be something that would work its way into sort of my, um, what you call it? Like my core values of how of how I'm doing things, you know, and they're hard to yeah. name sometimes. Sometimes it has to be an intuitive thing, you know, an intuitive yeah. thing like this is encroaching on something that's important to me and mm-hmm. I don't think I can let go of this, you know. And yeah. so over the years with those various opportunities, it's never felt like a good fit. I think yeah. for some it could be a good fit, but I think, mm-hmm. again, my personal vision is strong enough that... I don't think it would have been a good fit for me, you know? Yeah. Um, even recently, like last year, I tried management for, you know, about nine months. And it was a good management company. I re- the re- It was the first time I ever tried something like this, you know? And I did yeah. it because I actually like deeply connected with the guys working in the company. They were good guys, you know? But even in that nine months, I realized like, oh, I've been, I didn't realize it, but I've been managing myself for a decade. Right. And there is a way that I do things and a value system to the way that I do things. And it's not as if their values are anti-Christ compared to mine, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there's oh, yeah. a different way that we do things. And I had to come yeah. to terms with the fact that I, re- I need to continue the course in the way yeah. that I've been walking it, um, yeah. even if it's hard. And so I had to like let them go and say, yeah. you know, let's, yeah. still, be, let's still be friends. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think just hearing that, 
part of your journey is is really helpful, uh, not only to me, but I think it's it's helpful for a lot of artists, and it kind of connects with what we were talking about a minute ago with the role of a pastor or an evangelist or these different ideas of what something is supposed to look like. I know that music yeah. in particular and any kind of art form, you know, there are these prescribed patterns or these these prescribed ways of doing it that yeah. uh, just seem to be, hey, if you're going to be a musician, you have to do it this way. If you're going to be an artist, you have to do it this way. But kind of the beauty of even where we are in our culture right now and with the opportunities we have to venture out into an independent framework, you know, I think it really speaks to the fact that we do have to be authentic and true to the path, you know, that God's yeah. put in our heart to follow yeah. and, and to to keep our core values, our core values, you know, and, and yeah. uh Yeah. It made me think, um, one of the things that I know about you just through conversation and, and different things that you've said and and I'm sure this has been one of the the core values that helped you make those decisions as well as the challenges. But you seem to have always placed your highest value upon your family and prioritized them over like a super rigorous tour schedule, which I know for a lot of artists that's that would seem impossible to do, but you know, because touring tends to be the crux of many musicians' lifestyle, but you seem to have found a niche or a way to to manage your rhythms of touring and family life, which seems to work for you. I'm I'm curious to know a little bit about that part of your process. Yeah, I think part of the answer plays off your last question, which is choosing to not if you will, come underneath the umbrella of someone's organization or management company or whatever. The more people on your team, and like I, I really look at it as coming underneath someone else's roof, if you're talking about a label or management, mm-hmm. or some, of, some of those big relationships, legal relationships you enter into with music, is there will be demands. And I think that's the interesting thing, is like the more people who are quote unquote helping you with your music, the more paychecks need to be issued. Um, Mm -hmm. And just by nature of that, the demands will be more heavy. Of course they want you on the road because that equals more income, that equals more records sold, that equals more exposure, which equals more opportunities, which, you know, it's, (laughs) and so everyone like who's on your team wants to see it grow and grow and grow and i think a value of mine has been like sustainable growth i have slowly brought in employees as i know that my music is at a place where there's a need for someone to help in that way but in many ways by remaining independent they're coming under my roof rather than me entering someone else's roof yeah and that's felt like a healthy balance because even I do have a booking agent and he knows like, listen, man, I only want to do three or four shows a month. Mm-hmm. You know, last year we did a couple tour bus tours. You know, I went out with John Mark and I did a big yeah. Christmas tour. And I realized doing those two big tour bus tours, you know, two weeks on the road, back to back, in a bus, 12 guys, ton of moving parts, a <laughs> lot of investment on something like that, you know, a yeah, lot of yeah. investment, but then in some ways big rewards on the back end and it's exciting, but I realized I don't like touring that way. It depleted mm. something in me. I was away from my family too long. I sensed negative effects spiritually. 
And so yeah. I got a, I got a hold of my booking agent and said, man, I can't do those anymore. I just did two, and I, I don't think that's not the way that I work, you know? So yeah. we're going back to once a month, I'll go out and I'll do three or four show tour, and I come home and I don't do shows the rest of the month. Yeah. Um, for some, that seems absurd. That's like, you know, 30 to 35 shows a year, which is not a whole lot. Sure. Um, but it works for me, you know? And I yeah. think part of it is like my overhead isn't very high. Yeah. I don't have a huge team. I have guys that are helping me. Yeah. Um, yeah, but to get to the heart of your question as well, it's not just that I don't want to tour a lot. It's that I do have this family that I care for. And Absolutely. I think I have with my father, who's an avid music lover, and he would, you know, we'd sit in the car together and he would go through the stations and we'd listen to like the radio and classics, the Beatles and new songs coming out. And he would, in some ways, assess the songs, and he'd be like, do you hear this song? That sounds just like the last guy, doesn't it? That's derivative. That's them wow. trying to exploit the work of someone else because that's what's hot right now. And then he'd play some other song and be like, do you hear that? That's, that's a classic. There's something there that's timeless. That's why they're still yeah. playing this song 40 years later on the radio. Yeah. And him, in some ways, talking through pitfalls of artists. And mm. I think one of them is, like something's hot we need to exploit this right now because this is your chance at glory which i mm -hmm. think kills a lot of artists you know in our Absolutely. time and uh not just in music man i mean you look at actors actresses yeah. artists musicians man like the the sort of instant glory of instagram and followers and this is hot right now and gosh man if it's not balanced in oh man being f like firmly rooted somewhere mm -hmm. it's like the proverb you know like wealth that's gained hastily will also leave hastily you know there's something yeah. about sustainable growth slow growth um yeah. that creates a strong foundation underneath you i know that if my yeah. family starts to crumble mm -hmm. if me and my wife lose connectivity with each other do you think that might affect the songs I write on my next album? Mm. And do you think That's it so might good. affect the way that I tour that album? And do you, th right. you know, do you think there's going to be some destruction in the wake yeah. of that? Even though I might go on two years and no one on the outside sees it happening, the decay on the inside of my life. But then all yeah. of a sudden, like, some horrible news. Oh, Josh Carroll's, he's like getting divorced. He's whatever, right. you know, like things that... Yeah man, I have it in my power to actually create a lifestyle that is life-giving to that which is most important to me, which is my family, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, while absolutely. doing the work that I love. But those two, they need to be balanced continually. And yeah. there have been times where certain albums have done better than others where it's like, those are the times that like publicists and managers and publishing companies all come. They're like, this is hot right now. Like, let us help you blow <laughs> this thing up, you know? <laughs> let us help you become a household name. And yeah. there is that moment where you're like, man, maybe this is it. Maybe <clears throat> this is my chance at glory, you know? Right. But if it yeah. is, if I sense, man, it's like pumping it full of steroids and yeah. exploiting something. Oh, man. Yeah, it is, it's bypassing the process, which any artist knows. You bypass the process, the end goal is going to be faulty it won't stand up mm -hmm. you know yeah so in some ways it's a it's a devotion not only to my family but a devotion to creating the strongest work i can because if we yeah. bypass the process the work will suffer and wow. maybe you won't hear it on my next album maybe yeah but it will come you know what i mean yeah so yeah 
um, that's it's, a long answer, man. But yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, it's really good. I've I've often said, you know, art is more of a process than a product. Mm-hmm. You know, and what we see is the end result is is really the result of a process, and it may be detected or it may not be detected. But within the art we create, you know, there's a process that you're witnessing when you when you behold it. And I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, these exceptional artists in history. Like when we read the biographies of, say, you know, the Picassos or the Kurt Cobains or the William Burroughs or even Van Gogh or any of any of these. Uh, artists there's often a carnage of broken relationships and and personal conflict that follows behind their path to success yep but i've often thought you know especially for artists rooted in faith and even through what you've just said we're aspiring to live by a, a value system that's greater than the the glory you know and um yeah it it seems that we have the opportunity for our art to go beyond the edges of the canvas, so to speak, or for our art to go beyond that final note on your album, you know, and that the way that we live our personal lives contributes to the art that we're making. And that's something that I see in you, especially when you talk about these values and how you've balanced your tour life with with your family and and all of that and I I think that's something that I'd love even in my own journey to keep in mind is that the art we're making is not just on the canvas or not not just the performance but the art we're making is the lives we're living you know yeah yeah so much for listening to the makers and mystics podcast our next episode will be the continuation of my conversation with josh Gerrels. if you'd like to support the creation of these podcasts or discover other episodes you can do so at makersandmystics.com we'll see you next time <laughs>